Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 151 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we discussed how the human element continues to play an important role in legal technology and why some people wonder if lawyers in the legal profession can successfully adapt to new technologies. In this episode, we take another perspective on the future and share our thoughts on the just-completed ABA Tech Show 2015. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we'll be talking about our recent visit to ABA Tech Show 2015. In our second segment, we'll uh, puzzle over the reluctance of lawyers to pay anything, and I mean anything, for apps. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first, let's talk about ABA Tech Show 2015. I think I speak for both of us when I say that ABA Tech Show is one of our favorite times of the year. Uh, Lots of great education about technology, but I think more important, lots of opportunities to connect and talk with other people who are as passionate about using technology as we are. Uh, Dennis, you've had a few days to reflect. We just got back from the conference a few days ago. What uh, what are your reactions to this year's tech show? You know, I I thought it was a great show this this year. I, mean, I thought it was really fun. Um, met tons of people, learned some new things, had a wide variety of experiences, and and it, and it reminded me, Tom, because uh, you know we both were talking at different times about how you know people think it's all about tech, 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 and the technology is thing, but it's really the way that technology connects people, and it's the ex, you know the experiences that we have with people that really make this a great show, and. You know, so so many elements of of tech show work so well at at helping people get to know each other, and as you say, connect you up with the other people who are as interested in technology as we are. Well, you know, it was funny you say that because I was I was interested to see there were some some blog posts that came out after the show um, from people who. I would say, have traditionally viewed tech show from afar, from Twitter, probably, I guess is probably the best way to put it. They've been critical about the show. Um, I think you get a very skewed view of what tech show is like, or really any conference, but let's use tech show as the example. What tech show is like, you get a skewed view when people are posting about it on social media. And this year, you would certainly get a skewed view considering the number of selfie pictures that were posted uh, throughout, uh, throughout the conference. But what was interesting was that some of those people who have watched it traditionally from a ways off came to the show this year. They had a good time. They discovered what I think you just mentioned, what you and I and everyone who's been coming to Tech Show has really known forever, which is that Tech Show is about relationships. It's about connecting with others. It's about learning from other people and 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 that you really can't get a good idea until you're there um, with the people and talking with them and getting to know them. And uh, I think I agree with you. I think this is one of the, one of the best tech shows that I've been to in terms of the energy and the friendliness and the number of people that were there. And uh, I I think there are certainly still some things that that stay the same from year to year. The great education, uh, the technology education is always outstanding. 
We always have lots of interesting vendors to see. Uh, so there are a lot of things that uh, still are the same year after year. But I, I think the energy seemed to me to be a little bit higher this year and a little bit more fun than it has been in past years. Yeah, it seemed like there were more people, uh, a lot of smiling people. I mean, some people who just really <laughs> seemed like they liked it uh, and felt that they learned a lot. So I, I got a lot of great feedback. And as you know, Tom, I like to spend a lot of time at the conference concierge desk, which is one of the great innovations at Tech Show. And it's, it's just a great way to meet people as they're they're walking through and, and to catch up with the you know, different speakers, attendees, and and that. I, reflecting back on on the conference, I just and I was talking to some people today at work, and it's, I just did a lot of things while I was there. I mean, I, as I sort of ticked it off to people, you know, I got to Chicago, went to the Art Institute, uh, had a great time there. Recorded, a, uh, I was a guest on a podcast. I was a panelist on the the Appathon. I would you know spoke at three sessions on on panels and uh, I guest hosted a podcast I went to a meetup on legal tech in Chicago we we had a breakfast thing you and you and I and you know all dinners and it was uh, just a, a jam-packed time uh, so lots of things and you know I, I picked up quite a few things spent a lot of time on the exhibit floor so I don't know Tom you I know you had some work to do because you were telling me about that but but it seems like it was a real whirlwind this year. So uh, I didn't notice, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out on this uh, before I give an answer to that, which is I didn't really hear in your description of all the stuff that you did that you actually went to any sessions. I know you and I went to a part of a session, but uh, I'd have to say that I was so busy I didn't actually make it to sessions, which I expect is not the traditional tech show experience. I mean, people are obviously there for the education, but uh, did you make it to any sessions? Yeah, there's. I went to some excellent sessions that I was speaking at but uh, so I, I definitely <laughs> I definitely made those but I, I think that the uh, uh, you know I went to a couple of sessions uh, it, was, it is an odd conference for me these days because some of the things I'm really interested in wouldn't necessarily be covered in the sessions and there were a couple of sessions I was hopeful of going into and there's one in particular you and I both started out at but it was just sort of a little bit too basic for the things we were interested in and it in that case it just made sense for me to catch up with the presenter of on on that session, uh, which I was able to do on on Saturday and ask ask some of the questions I have and, and to get some insights. So it's kind of an odd thing for me uh, in when it comes to sessions. It's really hard to pick them, and um, they're not necessarily geared to exactly what I'm interested in. But so I, I did I did a little bit, but not as you know not as much in terms of, of sessions as as I uh, at least initially put on my schedule. But when you get the chance to talk to people you don't see for a long time, and, and some of them are, like I said, the other speakers who are real experts, you can learn a lot by taking advantage of using that time to just, just you know, network with people and talk to people rather than kind of sit in a session and, and, and uh, watch a presentation. Well, I think what that means, and I, I, I was sort of the same way. I, like you said, I had to spend some time actually doing some work um, 
for my job that took me away from having fun at the conference. But, uh, but I, I think that what that goes to show you is that there's a lot of things that you can get out of a show like Tech Show. It's not, I mean, even though going to the, the sessions is what you arguably pay for and that's where you get the most value, you can still get a ton of value out of it by not going to a lot of sessions. So I think it just depends on what you want to make out of it. As far as what I did at Tech Show, uh, like you, I spoke at a, at a couple of sessions. Uh, you and I spoke together with some other folks on the uh, state of legal technology presentation that we started doing last, uh, last year. And uh, I thought that went really well again this year. We had a great crowd for that. Uh, I got to uh, to talk to a lot of people who are interested in writing books for the law practice division of, uh, of the American Bar Association, and that was nice. We told them about how to become an author for law practice books. I spent a lot of time at the concierge. I, I enjoy connecting with people, although uh, the time that I spent there tends to be the time where everybody's just asking two questions, which is, where are the classes and where's registration? And uh, so I didn't get a lot of uh, unique or interesting things to talk about but uh, I uh, I had a I had a good time let's talk kind of in, in general was it were there things that you particularly liked uh, about uh, about tech show things you want to call out as some of your favorite things well I really liked the the beer and bloggers thing Kevin O'Keefe of Lex blog Alan Pusey of uh, ABA journal do this every year on Friday evening that was really fun so you get a bunch of bloggers and it's a chance to meet people whose blogs you've read so there's a lot of new people there, um, old friends as well. Uh, you know, Tom and I, we certainly ran into some old friends at that, people I didn't expect, like uh, Fred Faulkner from back in our old days of the law practice management section. So that was great. And then, then I think that just, uh, it's, it's the hallway stuff. I mean, it, to me, it's that when you get the chance to just sit down and talk to people, and this is, to me, one of the real benefits of being a speaker at tech shows, you know, you just walk into the speaker ready room and there's a couple of people there and you sit around and talk for a while. And uh, sometimes you run into into some attendees who ask you some questions or you, you know, I, I think after Alice and I did our LinkedIn session, we were talking to people, I would say a good half hour, 45 minutes afterwards, just kind of hanging out, asking questions, finding out about what people were interested in. So that to me is is always the stuff I like. And and it was, I also liked the chance, even though it wasn't part of tech show, it was uh, there was a legal tech meetup that was the a Chicago group put together and a lot of kind of big names in the in some of the new developments in technology and law who were at that session and and that was fun to you know go to a different venue with a different group some overlap and and that was fun to see a different set of like short presentations and and just get to talk to some people you know, one of the the sessions that I did get to was the plenary session on Saturday morning, which uh, is always interesting to see how many people can uh, drag themselves out at uh, at nine in the morning after a Friday night of having a good time. But I will say that that was a really interesting plenary for me. Uh, uh, Casey Flaherty, formerly of Kia, Andy Perlman from uh, Suffolk Law School in Boston, uh, talked about competence and technology knowledge. And I really enjoyed it primarily because it's a 
topic that you and I have talked about a lot on this podcast in the past uh, few years about whether or not uh, you know lawyers should ha- be required to know how to use the technology that they're uh, using in service of their clients. And, and what I like about what Casey and Andy are doing these days are they're actually acknowledging and doing you know kind of bringing this to the forefront uh, in a way that it was it was kind of an eye opener. People saying how how bad lawyers are at technology and why it's important that they get better in order to provide better service to their clients. So that was that was nice to see that people are finally talking about a topic like that. What about new products, Dennis? I will tell you that there were there were two products that that I'm particularly interested in. Uh, one from an iPad standpoint, one from I guess a standpoint that you and I may have some interest in. The iPad tool that I'm looking forward to the most, it actually hasn't come out yet, but it was announced at at Tech Show, and it's from our friends at Lit Solutions who who make the great trial pad and transcript pad apps. And they're doing a new app called Doc Review Pad that uh, allows you to load and review and annotate large numbers of documents uh, on your iPad, which I think is uh, a really nice. I think they're finding the sweet spot for solo and small firm lawyers who may not have a huge volume of information, not enough to hire a major document vendor to process and load that into one of their review platforms, um, but they want to be able to get something onto their iPad. So I think that's kind of a nice space for them to be in, given that the rest of their tools are evidence presentation and deposition management. So I like that tool. And then I think that uh, that you and I both uh, are impressed by the folks at Legaler. They're based in Australia, but they're going to be spending most of their time focusing on the U.S. market. And uh, I don't know, do we want to tell a little bit about kind of what they do? Because I know that you and I are both interested in, in learning more about that platform. Well, I mean, I think it's a communication platform that it will allow people to do video, audio, texting, all, all sort of in one place, uh, the ability to archive it. They, there's a tool that uh, a number of us were talking about called Slack, and they they described this to me as Slack for lawyers. So they, you know, there's security and, and other things built into it. But I think it has a lot of potential as this sort of, um, and this might not be the right term, but it's this sort of lightweight, you know, communications platform that could allow you to do a lot of things. And I think as you, as we start to say, how are lawyers going to serve people and communicate with people who like to use audio, they like to use Skype, they like to use FaceTime and other things. So what what will be the equivalent sort of thing that you could use um, in, you know, for clients or to collaborate uh, with the, with other lawyers? And, and so this one uh, is, is pretty interesting to me because I, I was looking for a way that maybe we could uh, collaborate on some things and maybe even do like a private group of, of people, uh, you know, some of our friends who do a lot of speaking are sort of experts on legal technology as, as sort of a way that we can quickly ask questions of each other and and kind of share share thoughts and ideas. So I've always been intrigued by things like that. Um, and as I told them, it, it seems to me that over the years, some of the coolest legal technology uh, applications have come out of Australia for whatever reason. And, and so this is an another one that seemed to have a lot of potential. I mean, it's new, of course. There's another new one I like called Zola, which was uh, just a a really well-designed and well-crafted and well-thought-out 
case management app that, uh, you know, a cloud-based case management app that just seemed like it was, like I said, well-designed and uh, just focused on the main things that a lawyer would need. I, it was, you know, it's one of those things that if you were just starting up your own practice, especially if you'd left a firm, it, it just seemed like it would give you most everything that you wanted uh, without you know, being too much. And then the other thing that uh, really interested me was uh, Handshake, which is uh, basically, I don't know what you call it, a SharePoint add-in, but it's something that works with SharePoint um, to really organize the information that a lawyer has and to have, you know, we, we talked about, you know, having that uh, personal dashboard. This leads to that, it also does some really cool things on uh, expertise location. So it takes the information in your system, like what documents you've worked on, what clients you build, what clients you're responsible for, uh, the matters you've worked on, and then allows people to surface the the experts on a given topic. And I, it's a, a really cool application um, that I think for, especially in the larger uh, law firms, could be something to be be really helpful. Also, Tom, it's, I think this is a time where there's all sorts of new products and people thinking about new apps and new approaches to both providing legal services and applications for lawyers. And, and you know, we highlighted that tech show for, I'd say, Adriana Lanieri's really highlighted that tech show with the Appathon, uh, the launched the uh, night before tech show. So Tom, what's your, could you tell us about the Appathon and your reaction to it? Well, I, I will say I'm going to turn this back over to you because you were actually on the panel for the Appathon. So I think you have a, a, a far different perspective than I do. But uh, this Appathon was uh, the first that uh, the ABA's Legal Technology Resource Center decided to, uh, to to put on on the night before Tech Show, have something a little bit different. Um, it, it was designed to sort of track or follow the hackathons that we've been seeing in other places. But uh, as Adriana Linares indicated when she opened it, she said the word hack has kind of a negative connotation, so they're calling it an apathon, and it was designed to bring together teams from different law schools around the country who were engaged in developing apps uh, that would help consumers, that would help lawyers provide better service to their clients. And there were a lot of very interesting tools that were out there. Had some Google Hangouts where we got to talk to the actual people who were uh, who were creating these apps. And uh, and I, I thought it was a really interesting and, and innovative uh, discussion. Dennis, you were actually part of it. You were part of the discussion. Tell us more about kind of what it was from your perspective. Well, from my perspective on the panel, and I, I just described it as sort of like a quasi-shark tank type of approach. And so uh, there are people from MIT, University of Brooklyn, uh, University of Missouri, Kansas City. And so you had student groups that are already working on apps. And so they did two-minute videos on what they were doing with the idea that the panelists and the audience could give them feedback, uh, both at the event and then on an ongoing basis or at a later basis, I guess, if they wanted. And and so it was really fun because people had these ideas. And then uh, we had a, a really interesting panel for me. And so sometimes we were, you know, you could be a little critical, but I think we all tried to come up with uh, suggestions to help people. And you saw some commonality in what people were trying to do and some really interesting uh, potential if uh 
you know, people can kind of expand their approach and I think understand the audience a little bit, or, uh, especially, but um, some really cool uh, ideas out there. And I think it's this sort of thing where you're saying if if technology is going to change uh, the legal profession and the legal business, uh, it's this sort of ground up. Uh, things that, uh, you know, things that start from the ground up, applications of new technologies, and in the sense of apps is really interesting rather than to try to create these, you know, gigantic, you know, uh, things to cover everything about law. So uh, I was pretty excited. It was really fun to be part of uh, the panel on this one. No, I agree. I think that uh, as we become more of an app society um, and the fact that apps are more lightweight, usually designed to do one thing. I think that that's a, a good, and the fact that everybody's on their phone or on a mobile device all the time, uh, I really I really sort of think that's where these types of things are going. I hope we're able to continue it next year. I know it's probably not practical for our uh, for the purposes of Tech Show, but I, I'd love to see more people in person. I think it makes sense to have it in the Hangout feature, and, and that's kind of a co- also a cool use of the technology, but uh, I'd almost like to see them together to compete Pete uh, in a room, uh, uh, and, and maybe that's just an argument for uh, for us trying to organize something on a broader scale uh, at some other venue other than Tech Show. So as part of the outline that we kind of developed for this, uh, one of the questions that you had on here were, were, do shows like Tech Show still matter? And I'm going to answer the question before I toss it back to you, which is, I, I sort of think that uh, the, what we've been talking about the last 20 minutes uh, shows that that shows like this still matter. I mean, I, we haven't really, I haven't really come up with a reason why, uh, why we sh- wouldn't think about that in any other terms, but that t- shows like this are incredibly important for a number of different reasons, uh, not the least of which is, is teaching lawyers about uh, legal technology. There are just so many benefits about conferences like this that uh, I think they're, I think, more relevant to a certain extent than they ever have been. Dennis, was that your point when you put this in the outline, or did you uh, have a certain slightly different take on it? Well, I, I think that it's important to raise the question uh, all the time. And so I, I was having a conversation, maybe I had a couple conversations on this point, but the, I noticed that sessions weren't recorded and they weren't videotaped. And I had forgotten to record, set the recording for our LinkedIn session. So Alice and I were, were talking about that because when you do these things, it's nice to preserve them and to have uh, not just have a record, but it's things you can kind of cut up and reuse and, and repurpose in different ways. And so anyway, we different people got talking about that. And so there was sort of, somebody said, well, why not do this as a virtual conference? And, you know, with the there's the live show and there's a virtual thing. And, and people have always struggled um, with that notion because they think that if you do that, you cannibalize the live attendance. And I, I don't, I don't actually agree with that, but I, I understand where people are coming from on that. But I've always wondered, like, could you do, by routinely videoing it, even if you delayed it, but you could also do some live streaming. And I, I think you would, uh, there's a great audience around the world of people who really are interested in this material and to learn about it who, who can't come to Chicago. 
And so, you know, people are talking about, well, think of the things you can do with that, with like a virtual exhibit floor, with things like that. And I'm sort of wondering if we're getting closer to the time when there's some real potential with that. If I look to next year, I I wouldn't say I want to do that next year. And next year being the 30th uh, anniversary of Tech Show, I really want to go to that show. And I, you know, Tom, we always this this running gag where I was, you know, wonder if, if uh, this is going to be the last year I speak at Tech Show or you know go to Tech Show. But next year I really want to go to Tech Show and I really want to speak at it because it's the 30th anniversary, which probably means I'll get uh, my year of rest next year um, <laughs> as these things turn out but 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 I'm definitely going but I, but I'm I'm really intrigued by what we might do to reach out to people you know geographically and otherwise uh, who can't at- attend in person and to use um, you know social media the video the audio platforms and some of the ideas like the legaler service that we were talking about to create new communities that that wouldn't exist uh, you know otherwise so tech show can become the magnet that kind of pulls those people together so that was partly behind my question and I agree. I know that Legal Tech New York has done this for a number of years where they've recorded live, they've streamed maybe not video, but at least the audio of a lot of presentations so that you could hear what was going on. And I think that that's, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. And given some of the platforms you're talking about and the new technologies, I think that there's a lot of opportunities to be able to be creative in how we bring this. I think that the challenge of, of a show like Tech Show and making it more interactive and more virtual for people who can't make it is I think you have to pick and choose what you what you share with the rest of the world because the show is so massive. I mean, there's six tracks of information going on simultaneously and trying to capture all of it and displaying all of it to the rest of the world uh, is probably pr- fairly expensive, also can get fairly uh, noisy pretty quickly. And so I, I think that, you know, choosing either the right sessions or the right tracks, you know, certainly making the keynote and some of the plenary sessions available for people to watch um, would make a lot of sense. But I would see that as sort of the next natural extension of Tech Show is making more use of trying to capture those external audiences. Maybe by doing that, we avoid people who uh, who take a, you know, a skeptical look at Tech Show uh, in places like Twitter because they just can't see what it's like. Maybe this would give them an opportunity to see what a show like this is like. Well, when I first started going to uh, Tech Show and speaking at Tech Show, one of the cool things was that as an attendee, you could buy a cassette tape of any session that you wanted. And if you're a speaker, you got a free cassette tape of of the recording of your session. And so I think you know, not all these things work in this way because some, you know, some sessions are more like demos, but there were certain sessions that maybe I couldn't get to and I wasn't sure exactly how they're going to be discussed or if there was a, a conflict or something. It'd be cool to have some of this stuff available as, as podcasts. And there are a lot of conferences that do that. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. 
We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. At Tech Show, I noticed that there were a few things that set Tom off and made me wonder if it was time for a return of the Angry Tom segment we used to do in this podcast. First and foremost of the Tom irritants that he told me about was the way that some lawyers totally freaked out over having to pay as much as $2.99 for a mobile app. I actually saw some people make faces when somebody said that a great app was currently on sale for 99 cents. Tom, have we lost all sense of reason about what apps should cost? Well, first of all, I need to contest the fact that it was not, we didn't call it the Angry Tom segment that we used to do. It was called a rant, and that doesn't imply anger. I'm calm now. I feel good about it. But that said, there were some interesting discussions that we had at Tech Show about apps and the cost of apps. And it, and it really started when I mentioned an app on stage for the iPad, and I said it was free. And I was approached by at least three people after the session who went to go download it and discover that the app was $2.99. And there was a little bit of the how dare you mislead me to think that this was a free app in it. And, and one person actually said, I really wish there was a trial version of this app so that I didn't wouldn't have to spend the $2.99. And I've sort of take the position that if an app is good, you should be willing to pay the money to get it. And I know that I walk on interesting ground here, Dennis, because I know that you're a fan of the free app. But at the same time, I presented with somebody else during the the iOS, 60 iOS apps in 60 minutes, um, where somebody basically believes that if you buy a free app or if you get a, get a free app, you're compromising quality. And the only way to guarantee quality is to is to actually pay for the app. And we've also had other conversations about how, uh, how some of the apps we love a lot, like TrialPad, like TranscriptPad, are charging far more than what we would expect for an app at $89 and $129. Uh, But at the same time, I don't know that we would blink once if we were just thinking about that as being computer software, that it was a program for our computer, you know, like buying Quicken or or something like that. I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable price. And I think that the app economy has gotten us to a point where we have an expectation. I I mean, I'm fully willing to blame Apple for this because they like to drive down the prices of things. And there was a time when I said that if the app is more than $9.99, it's probably something that you want to take a look at buying or not buying. But uh, I, I think that that mentality of these apps are cheaper, primarily because they are less full functioning than apps that you would put on a computer, but not necessarily. That has led us to just the mentality that we really shouldn't have to pay a lot for the apps that we have. I think it's fascinating. It fascinates me that that we've gotten so quickly to this point in time where people are actually complaining about 99 cents or $2.99. And I kind of wish they'd get over it and just buy the apps because they're really good. Good apps, and I think that uh, if the price is right, and and and, and I can't imagine that two ninety nine price is not right, then people ought to take advantage of that. Am I totally off base with my rant, Dennis? No, I mean I I don't think so, and uh, you know I like free apps. Uh, make no secret about it. But I also have bought some of the most expensive apps that are available, and they're really significant for me. OmniFocus uh, right. is the classic example. Yep. Uh, worth every penny I paid for it. I mean, it's just made a, a huge change in in the way that that I do things, and so I, I have bought 
apps. I bought premium versions of apps where the free version is perfectly adequate just because I like the apps and I want to figure out a way to, to pay the people who created them. So I think that approach has changed. I think early on you didn't know exactly what you were getting with apps and, and like a site like Apps Gone Free just makes it easy. You know, when somebody offers you, the, you know, a paid app for free it's hard to say no to it but i'm i'm sort of slimming down the apps that i use and i'm more willing to pay pay for quality and to reward the the people who build that and that said i i I just think that the comparison to what you might pay for computer software for something that we'd use we were talking about trial pad time and and this to me is a classic example where you would say the alternatives are quite expensive and people say this does exactly what i want it's really easy to use i can't you know if, if i buy the other more expensive software program and the the ipad app for it isn't as good you know this is all easy to use you know like everything that you would hope for and people say but you know $89, oh, that's just so much. And you go, that's that's so crazy, you know, because it's like we don't know how to, to put a value on things that make our lives easier and and help us do things better. So it, so it is, we're at a funny place on apps, but uh, I, I, I just look at it in terms of saying, hey, look, somebody's worked really hard and they've built an app over time and there's new versions of it and it keeps improving and you like it. Uh, you know, two ninety nine is not much to say. Hey, thanks for doing a, a nice thing for me. Well, and I think that the the other thing to keep in mind is that uh, the developers need to find a way to monetize uh, and make a living from their apps. And I think that certainly it would be very difficult to justify uh, having an app like TrialPad that we're in the courtroom presenting evidence, and all of a sudden it gets interrupted and says your trial will resume in in three minutes and twenty nine seconds. Let's go through a couple commercials first while we uh, while we pay for the price of the app. And so I think that that's that's certainly something that can't happen. And that's that's why charging for the app makes a lot of sense. You know, by the same token, you're going to get a lot of free apps out there because they're components of another service. Obviously, Facebook and and LinkedIn and all your social media apps are free. And there are a lot of really good free apps that are companions to other services. Um, Not to say that free apps aren't good. There are a lot of really good free apps. But I will say that I tend to get more out of the apps that I pay for. Even if it's only 99 cents to remove some ads from something, I tend to value those apps a lot more than the apps that, uh, that I get that are free. And ultimately, look, it's 99 cents. I mean, like, <laughs> come on. So now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I've become a fan of Product Hunt lately. Product Hunt is a site that looks at different types of apps and tools every day. They have a featured category. Um, they'll list a, lo- a whole bunch of them. Just recently, they, they had a, a category of live streaming apps, apps that you can use to live stream, a la Meerkat or Periscope that I talked about on the last podcast. And they they provide them in a list and you upvote or downvote them based on whether you think that they're good or bad tools. And then they exist in a directory for for you to to go look at. I guarantee you, I always find a tool or a site that I did not know existed out there that kind of looks at these areas or these topics in a different way. So uh, I I like it. It comes to me via the old-fashioned method of email once a day. It's product, P-R-O-D-U-C-T-H. H-U-N-T dot com. Product Hunt. 
And mine is something called Sway or Office Sway, sway.com. And this is a beta from Microsoft of something new. And so I was talking to our friend Ben Shore, and he was about to do his presentation of 60 Windows uh, mobile apps in 60 minutes. Uh, and he was going to debut this, this beta app called Sway to do his presentation with. And so he showed me how it worked, and it was great. And, and I suspect that the, the eight attendees for his session also <laughs> thought it was great. Uh, but So it went out to a small audience. But this is kind of cool. It's a new approach to presenting information. And he could use it as a presentation, but it does some of those things that uh, I think are can be a little tricky in PowerPoint. So proportioning images, uh, doing different types of information, it sort of rolls things on a if you like a uh, on a strip that goes downward is a, is the sense that you have. It will help you select colors and match them, and so it does a number of things. And you can share some of the stuff. So it's it's a really interesting platform. That Ben just showed me a, a little bit, and then I looked on the website as well. And it's definitely in beta, and I don't know when it's going to be released, maybe six months or so. But Sway.com, definitely worth a look as, as something that might point to the way that we display information in the future and get beyond the whole PowerPoint slide concept to, to something that might uh, present information in a, a much easier way for people to understand. I will say that Microsoft has been coming up with a lot of very interesting smaller tools lately that uh, that we're starting to see, like Sway and like some others that I've seen lately, going to be very interesting to see over the, the next coming months and years. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. At, I'm at Tom Mile, and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>